0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network.
1: Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We've got a lot happening here as we prepare to kick off the longer than usual holiday weekend for the markets. We'll see if that's doing anything to today's trade with our friend Pedro Deneca, founder and partner of MD Commodities. He's down in Brazil and he'll be joining us here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to talk with Jerry Hagstrom of the Hagstrom Report. That omnibus bill is still being unpacked. It is expected to be signed by President Biden here in the near term. We also have some reasons to celebrate for ag nominees. Jerry will fill us in on all of that. And then in segment three, we're going to talk with Chris Blyley senior vice president over at Growth Energy. And Chris has been unpacking that omnibus bill as well, trying to see if there were any surprises in there for the ethanol industry. And we'll get that take from Chris here in just a bit. Before we jump into all of that, however, we're going to talk markets and we're going to talk how the markets look down in Brazil. Joining us now, Pedro Deneca, founder, partner, at MD Commodities. Pedro, thanks for joining us today.
2: Absolutely, Mike. Pleasure to be here with you guys.
1: You are currently down in Brazil. Is that right?
2: That's correct. That's correct. I'm down here in northern uh, Paraná. Beautiful day. Uh, we've been getting lots of rain and now we'll get a uh, few days of sunshine here. Things are looking pretty good up here.
1: All right. A very different scenario than what growers are facing up in the United States this week. Pedro, before we talk about what all is happening in Brazil, let's get an update on the crop condition. That soybean crop is expected to be a monster. CONAB reports a national average yield of 52.7 bushels per acre. What's your take? Is that a realistic number?
2: Yeah, absolutely realistic. Uh, Whether that's going to pan out or not, uh, we're going to have to wait another 30 to 45 days to to determine if uh, this is a crop that has the potential to, go, to even go above 155 millimetric tons, or maybe it's a crop that stays right around 148 to 152 millimetric tons. But um, right now, we believe uh, the range of working range should be anywhere between 148 to 153 uh, at this point. And now we have to wait. If, if rains arrive in uh, the uh, uh, southern portion of Brazil, Rio Grande do Sul, in January, uh also recall that they're just now planting they have a very similar cycle uh as argentina has and so if rains arrive uh in southern brazil uh here in the month of january and the forecasts are calling for it so if the forecasts are correct then i believe we're gonna head towards 155 uh maybe a little bit higher than that but for right now i think uh let's just stay right around 150 as a working number what we like to call it and even a 145 Uh, would be still 20 millimetric tons above last year Uh, brazil is going to totally dominate the export market starting in mid-january
1: and i think that's the part pedro that i really want to pick your brain on while you're down there in brazil this monster soybean crop is coming those northern brazilian beans are coming out shortly how much longer until that harvest gets underway in the north Uh,
2: we have clients that are uh, harvest starting to harvest uh in about a week in about a week they're going to be you know hitting the fields now again uh, these are the very early soybeans. A lot of cotton producers plant soybeans a lot earlier because they want to optimize the cotton planting window. Uh, so that's not the majority of the beans. The majority of the beans in the center northern portion of Brazil, which is the, 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 the uh, portion that produces the most, the region that produces the most, uh, let's call it mid jan to mid-fab. That's when really uh, things get going.
1: All right. And they are going to get going, uh, Pedro, with the Brazilian real at a steep discount to the American dollar. Can you tell us a little bit about how much Brazil is expected to export here in this coming uh, first and second quarter of 23?
2: You know, uh, I'm going to throw first and second quarter. I believe we're going to see very likely record numbers every single month. Uh, if we don't see it every single month, we're going to see it you know four out of six months five out of six months uh here in the first and second quarter i believe for the year uh brazil is headed to very likely something uh over 90 million metric tons which would be an increase um of 15 to 20 million metric tons uh from last year uh and you know at this point mike brazilian soybeans are much much more competitive in the uh, world market for the reason you just mentioned for a variety of reasons but one of the main reasons being the currency devaluation versus the dollar uh, so uh, the, the, the window for U.S. exports basically closes. When I say closes, window for major volumes of U.S. exports. U.S. Is still going to export, but the volumes are going to be very, very small, especially compared to last year, starting in mid-January. And I believe Brazil is going to be very, very strong, competitive until end of September, if not mid-October, which cuts even shorter the U.S. export window for next year.
1: All right, Pedro, thinking about Brazil on the global stage, January is going to see some big changes in leadership down there in Brazil. President Lula taking over on January 1st. How's the ag industry grappling with Lula's ascent to the presidency in Brazil? Have they gotten on
2: board? Uh, Not quite, not quite. Uh, You know, the the ag industry was very, very strong Bolsonaro supporter. Uh, There's been a a, a strong sense of disappointment, obviously, with Bolsonaro not being reelected. But at the end of the day, uh lula has been president before the ag industry thrived when lula was president of brazil before um it's not necessarily ideal for uh, in the view of uh, a lot of the folks in the ag industry but that does not mean that they're not going to work together uh just recall that agriculture in brazil corresponds to about uh, just about one-third of the uh, brazilian gdp and uh any government that comes in is going to want to work closely with agriculture to make sure they continue thriving
1: okay that is good to hear i know there were concerns that lula might uh, put some policies in place that limit the amount of acreage but pedro you haven't heard any confirmation of that quite yet
2: no and I, I would actually say that's total nonsense you know those are things that uh start floating around as you know mike you know you uh things get exaggerated uh no acreage is not going to suffer anything regarding uh got to recall that acreage the whole discussion behind that thought which again it's total nonsense is that not, your, not that your question is nonsense, the thought that it gets floating around. I think it's an excellent question and it needs to be uh, talked about. Uh, you know, people think that Brazilian acreage is increasing due to deforestation. That couldn't be further away from the truth. Uh, there's a lot of pasture land that's being converted uh, into uh, uh, land for agriculture. So uh, that's going to continue and uh, this whole narrative about uh, deforestation going into agriculture is absolutely wrong and uh it's going to be proven that way in the next few years
1: i think you're exactly right those acreage expansions are here and pedro as we look ahead to this soybean crop coming off that second safrina corn crop will go in the ground do you have a sense yet in brazil of what acreage for that second crop might look like
2: you know we're looking at a minimum of five percent uh increase from last year uh in the safrina corn uh that number could get higher or a little bit lower. I I, actually, I think lower is going to be very difficult because the planting window is going to be very, very good. So the farmers have invested, they bought inputs already. By the way, uh, there is uh, uh, zero truth to some of the reports saying that Brazilian farmers have not invested because of the prices of inputs. This is the most expensive crop that they have planted in soybeans. It's going to be the most expensive crop that they will plant for cotton, for corn. So the potential is going to be there. I'd say minimum 5% increase in area if weather contributes, if weather helps, meaning if it doesn't rain too much, right? Because you got to remember that in Mato Grosso and some of the center portions, February and March are very rainy months. So if the weather helps, we could see an increase of up to seven, 8% about uh, five mm about the right point.
1: All right, we'll see that growth coming, folks. We have been talking with Pedro Daneka. He's a founder and partner with MD Commodities, works in both the U.S. and Brazil. Pedro, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. And folks, stick around, when AOA returns, we're gonna talk with Jerry Hagstrom of the Hagstrom Report about that omnibus bill. Stay here for more AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn
3: more.
4: I can't get my computer
3: to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site.
5: Our geeks literally come on site. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help
0: you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879.
3: When it comes to making plans, you are the best. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice us.org. Information
1: farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson welcome back ladies and gentlemen to aoa certainly appreciate being a part of your day we just spoke with pedro Deneca down there of md commodities he was in brazil with that update we alluded to some of the political unrest that's or i guess not unrest but changes that are happening down there in brazil as uh, lula takes over and we've got political changes happening here in this country lots of discussion over the past several weeks about funding the u.s government past today past friday the 23rd and it looks like is going to happen before we talk omnibus bill with jerry hagstrom of the hagstrom report jerry we've got to celebrate some ag confirmations today don't we
6: yes absolutely that is as exciting as the passage of the omnibus Um, we have alexis taylor to be the agriculture uh, undersecretary for trade and foreign agricultural affairs doug mccallop to be the chief agriculture negotiator at the office of the u.s trade representative and Jose Emilio Esteban to be the undersecretary for food safety. These, these have been pending for a long time. And it's a real accomplishment that the AG.
1: It is a huge accomplishment there, Jerry. And I'm wondering, does this round out the roster for the, the nominated positions, or are there still some folks out there we need to get a hold of? Oh, folks, looks like we uh, we just had a phone issue with Jerry Hagstrom. We are going to be working to get him back on the line here in just a moment. We will be providing that update on the omnibus bill that is, it was passed out of the Senate on Thursday after many, uh, many, days of negotiation. And it is moving into the House. The House is expected to vote on it today. And well, we'll get Jerry's thoughts on just what else could be in there as soon as we get him back on the line here. In the meantime, folks, while we're thinking about the news that is moving, we've got inflation gauges cooling. Noticeably, U.S. consumer spending has missed forecasts. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But I think we've got Jerry back on the line. So Jerry, fill us in. Is the House going to vote on this omnibus bill here today or tomorrow?
6: No, I, uh, I think they're going to vote today. I think it'll be maybe within the next hour because those members really want to get out of town because they're afraid that their planes will be grounded due to the, all the snow all over the country. Uh, so I think uh, we should have the bill very, uh, very shortly, probably this morning.
1: Okay, Jerry. So that was going to be my next question is, will there be any changes from the text that came from the Senate after it comes out of the house or will it be effectively the same bill?
6: i think it'll be the same bill that came from the senate because otherwise they'd have to send it back to the senate again and and the senate has already left town so i think it's what you you get what you've gotten so far
1: all right so with this omnibus you get what you get you don't throw a fit jerry let's talk about what agriculture is going to get the ag department funding appropriation was part of the omnibus discussion and how did it come in
6: uh, well uh, f- uh, first of all the most important thing here is that we have funding through September of, of uh, next year which is the you know the full fiscal year um, uh, on the AG side the the total for what we call discretionary spending is 25 point5 billion I think that the total including the farm subsidies and food stamps is about 214 billion there is a little bit uh, more money I think the most
1: Well, shoot, I think we just lost Jerry again. This weather is making staying connected on the phone a little challenging out there. We will see if we can get Jerry back on the line here in just a moment. And uh, I apologize for that, everyone. Jerry, I hope you are things are going well. We'll get you back in. As, as Jerry mentioned there at the start, we did get important news, the story we have been following for the better part of this past year, the confirmations for ag negotiating roles. As we talk about promoting U.S. exports, getting the story of American agricultural, not just the, the story behind the commodities that we're growing, but the stories behind the production practices that Americans use, the scientific-based rationale we have for the crops that we grow in this country. It's vital to have those same voices on the federal stage, working hand-in-hand with the ag partners that we've got across the uh, across the world. So it's fantastic to see Alexis Taylor and Doug McCaleb move into those roles, both folks who have a deep understanding of agriculture and particularly America. American agriculture in the global stage. Now, I do believe we have Jerry Hagstrom back with us. And Jerry, I sorry this has been so frustrating on the phone. We have you back with us.
6: Yes, I'm I'm here. Perhaps it's because I'm in suburban California uh, and my phone is going out. I don't know. But in any case, to get back to the subject, Uh, I think the uh, the important things are there's more money for broadband in this bill. There's more money for the enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act, although they didn't put in the measures that Senator Grassley and Senator Tester wanted for uh, more regulation of the cattle markets and forcing the purchases of, of cattle on the spot markets um so those are those are a couple of the uh, uh of the important uh, provisions here oh also they they put in this measure called the growing climate solutions act uh which will register the entities that are involved in the carbon market and i think of give, give some assurance of real regularity and legitimacy to those markets so that should be good for farmers who want to sell sell uh, or you know, sell carbon Uh, which would be traded on a market.
1: And that growing uh, climate solutions, Bill Jerry, that was another piece of legislation that was under discussion most of this past year. And as I recall, it, it did have bipartisan support, didn't it?
6: It certainly did in the Senate. Um, It passed by a huge margin. And then the House just didn't take it up, uh, partly because Congressman Thompson, the uh, ranking member on the House Agriculture Committee, who will chair the committee next year, didn't like it. Uh, But eventually, I guess he agreed that it could go through as long as another bill that he has uh, was also added to the bill, and that will allow private entities to fund
1: Oh, shoot. I think we just lost Jerry again, folks. You know what? I think given the phone issues that we're having, it might be best to see if we can't get Jerry here on back again after the new year. Jerry, I apologize, sir, if you are still there. Give us a call if you think it's going to work. And otherwise, we will check back in with Jerry Hagstrom of The Hagstrom Report. You can find him online. Google Hagstrom Report. It'll take you right there to Jerry's thoughts and writings. He has been tracking this omnibus discussion since well before it even got started, and it will be provided updates on the different ornaments that are all packed into that Christmas tree in coming weeks. So do do follow Jerry and we will be sure to get him back here on the program uh, as soon as we can once, uh, once things start to make sense. But I do want to circle back to one of the comments we had made earlier, and that is on inflation cooling. Folks, this is something that a lot of us here in this country are excited about. We'd love to see these rapid price hikes start to slow down, notably on inputs and, of course, on our consumer goods. And we did get some important information. The PCE price index, that's the, uh, the consumer excluding uh, food and energy. It's consumer expenditures, and it is the weakest. It is in four months. It was unchanged at zero 0%. So this is perhaps a piece of news that the Federal Reserve can use to help continue to argue for scaling back their interest rate hikes. We saw the, uh, saw the hike of 50 basis points here, half a percentage point just a few weeks ago from the Federal Reserve. And they mentioned, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said at that press conference, that even though this hike is smaller than the 75 basis hikes we had seen before, don't anticipate slowing down the pace of rate hikes. They were concerned that inflation was still very ingrained in the economy and that future rate hikes were almost guaranteed to be coming. The hope is that those hikes will be smaller and smaller as the inflationary threat continues to subside. So we'll continue to watch this these reports come out monthly and they are always backward looking. Remember, this is the November data. We're getting it 30 days later. So all of it is always flowing a little bit behind, which is part of what makes the Fed challenge so difficult. That's one challenge, of course, that uh, folks in government are dealing with. But across the Pacific Ocean, the leaders in China are dealing with a very different problem, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Of course, uh, we've talked about China rolling back their COVID zero policy, and it's expected that might help long-term, encourage uh, some of that economy to make a return. But in the meantime, we are seeing COVID explode there across China. 37 million cases expected in China today. Now, the government has reported just shy of 2,000, and they've also only reported about 10 deaths at my last check. So 37 million potential cases, 10 deaths. Nobody is quite sure where the real numbers are in this issue with China. So as Arlen Suderman mentioned yesterday, This is an encouraging moment for the economy. China, of course, massive consumers, massive consumers of American agricultural products. But if they're all sick, if they're all calling in and staying home, they might not see that economic rebound as quick as that country had been hoping. We'll continue to watch what comes out of China. It will certainly impact their imports of ag commodities here in the coming year. No doubt from America and also from Brazil, as we talked about with Pedro Deneca earlier in the show. That partnership between Brazil and China continues to grow, particularly on the corn side. We'll see where it'll play out later on this year. On the corn side as well, when AOA returns, we're gonna talk with Chris Bliley, Senior Vice President of Growth Energy, about what's in the omnibus bill for biofuels. Stay here for more AOA. This is Ernie Johnson, Jr. Sports
7: is about overcoming obstacles and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne
2: muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD.
1: Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to
7: AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at this market trade headed towards the Christmas holiday, we are seeing moderately higher action in the grain trade with mixed activity in the livestock trade as well, as it's a fairly quiet uh, trading day, it appears here headed to the Christmas holiday. We did get some sales on the Daily Wire reported Friday morning of soybeans to unknown destinations, 124,000 metric tons, as well as 150,000 metric tons of corn reported to Mexico. So we see those sales maybe giving us a little bit of support underneath this market. Stock market quiet to slightly lower after we got better than expected GDP numbers yesterday and seemingly getting a little follow-through pressure on Friday. Crude oil up about 2% on Friday's session as well. Meantime, we look over at livestock trade relatively mixed there. We do have a cattle feed and quarterly hogs and pigs report due out on Friday afternoon and traders are seemingly squaring up positions ahead of that report. The estimates for cattle on feed as of December 1st at 97.1% of a year ago. Placements at 95.8%. Marketing's at 101%. The quarterly Hongs and Pigs report estimates of all Hongs and Pigs on December 1, 98.5% of a year ago. Kept for breeding at 99.7% and kept for marketing at 98.4%. Overall, we're still going to have some of the same storylines here throughout these markets, including South American, West, Weather, demand, China, COVID concerns, and more as we head into the final holiday-shortened trading week of the year. Soybeans and winter wheat, the upside leaders with beans up around 10 to 13, winter wheat up around 10 to 13 as well, and moderate strength in corn and spring wheat here as we work through the trading day. That's a check of the market trade. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
8: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
2: Information farmers and ranchers need to know.
1: AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And I've got to say we are going to be breaking down this omnibus bill for some time to come. $1.7 trillion. Uncle Sam will be rolling out here. It is expected before the Christmas holiday. And there are a lot of different ornaments hanging on that particular Christmas tree, including biofuels. It's been under discussion this past year, and it was time to see just what's going on in that industry. Well, joining us now for an update is Chris Bliley. He's the senior vice president for regulatory affairs at Growth Energy in D.C. And Chris, thanks for joining us today.
5: Yeah, good to good to talk to you, Mike, and always glad to join you.
1: Well, let's dive into that headline E15 year round. There was a last minute push to include that in the omnibus. Chris, was it able to get across the finish line?
5: Yeah, no, unfortunately, in the waning days of Congress, uh, it was not included in sort of the year end omnibus package. Um, but this continues to be a priority for our industry, uh, for the retail industry who sell E15 and really for the growth of biofuels in the future. So we'll look forward to you know, reintroduction in the new Congress and continuing to see ways that we can find some sort of national solution uh, in addition to the things that the states are doing to allow for year round sale of E15.
1: And Chris, I think that then would be my next question. There was a big push by several states predominantly across the Midwest to allow E15 sales year round, regardless of what Uncle Sam did. With this not being in the omnibus legislation, do those state efforts move back to center stage?
5: Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Mike. Uh, The the states continue forward with their their efforts to allow for year round sale in their individual states. Um, EPA is working on a proposed rulemaking that is now at the White House Office of Management and Budget where it's undergoing interagency review and we could see that released anytime. But what EPA has said consistently and I, you know what the states have really pushed for is that that for to be in place by the summer of 2023 so that retailers in those seven states, will have the confidence to be able to continue their E15 sales starting on June 1st.
1: Are there any additional states beyond those that announced last year who might be willing to uh, open the door to more uh, biofuel sales year round?
5: Well, I think conversations will continue with with other sort of neighboring states in uh, those with certainly a heavy E15 presence. Uh, at this time, I don't think there are additional that have committed to it. But again, I think as we get closer to the summer of 2023, and we see what EPA may propose, I think that is going to be a conversation going forward.
1: Chris, I want to turn our focus back to that omnibus piece of legislation, 4,000 different pages released there by Congress, $1.7 trillion. Do we know, is there much in there specifically for ethanol or biofuels more broadly?
5: Well, I, I, the short answer is no, there's not a ton specifically for biofuels. I know that's hard to say and in, in such a big bill, but really... You know, part of that is because we've had such a successful year for biofuels in general already. You know, it was really a banner year for our industry. You know, we hit 40 billion miles driven on E15. We saw an increase in E85 gallons, a 31 percent increase in gallons of E15. And on the policy side, you know, we, we were able to secure a binding deadline for the RFS set proposal that, that came out a few weeks ago from EPA. And that includes more than 15 billion gallons of conventional biofuels. Um, you know, Additionally, we saw a uh, passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which has a number of vital provisions for biofuel producers, like the Clean Fuel Production Credit, as well as $500 million, uh, $500 million for biofuels infrastructure. So it's really been a successful year. And while the omnibus didn't include year-round sale of E15, there have been a number of things on the policy front that have really been been a, a you know a big win for
1: biofuels. You know, you mentioned that Inflation Reduction Act released this summer, Chris. I understand it's we're still working to get the details of how those tax credits would work. Is the Treasury making progress on adding some certainty here for biofuel producers on those numbers?
5: Yeah, they sure are. Uh, they've put out a, a several notices on the various provisions that start sooner than later. Uh, the most recent was the 40 B uh, credit for sustainable aviation fuel. Um, there are some things in there that, that we have concerns about, but they've also promised to provide your f- further guidance on that particular credit. Uh, they've also put out guidance on sort of the labor and wage provisions of the 45 Q carbon sequestration expansion. Um, there are a number of things that Treasury has to do beyond biofuels. Uh, but they have started to, you know, we have started to see some of those notices come out from Treasury. Um, and that's going to be a lot of our uh, industry engagement over the next, you know, couple of years as as the Department of Treasury and other agencies really work to implement the new law.
1: And as you mentioned, 2022, banner year, tremendous growth. Looking into 2023, though, there will be challenges. What is Growth Energy preparing to address here in D.C.?
5: Well, I think, you know, again, we've seen, we saw the RFS set proposal. It's going to be important that EPA finalize that proposal um, and really sort of, you know, adhere to those strong volumes as well as the timeline to get that done by June. Uh, We'll have a RFS hearing right out of the gates on January 10th. Um, We have asked that, you know, EPA consider an in-person hearing. We haven't seen one since 2019. Right now it's virtual, but, You know our producers and our you know our farmers who supply the plants would love an opportunity to talk to EPA in person because this is such a fundamental policy for our nation's biofuel producers. They really want that opportunity to come and present their arguments. And so we'll see if EPA weighs in on that request. But in either case, we'll appear at that that hearing along with others. Um, You know, so the RFS set is certainly one piece. You know, we talked about year-round sale of E15. You know, whether that's EPA moving forward on the governor request to opt out or reintroduction of a national solution here in D.C., that's going to be another focus of ours as well. And then as we talked about implementation of the new Inflation Reduction Act and sort of the numerous tax policies and and the biofuels infrastructure piece um, and how that gets implemented by the various agencies, particularly the Department of Treasury.
1: And Chris, thinking back to those in-person hearings pre-COVID, how'd they work? I mean, how could the EPA administrators hear from regular folks and how the impact uh, worked for them?
5: Well, you know, to EPA's credit, uh, they would have an all-day hearing, uh, you know, the past couple of years, uh, or I guess (laughs) sort of pre-COVID, it it was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, where a lot of their staff is. Uh, but you know, we also had a hearing in Kansas City uh, that gave you know producers in the Midwest a good opportunity to come, you know, directly a little bit closer to some of our biofuel producers. Um, and you know, to EPA's credit, they will hear from whoever comes and will stay until the last person gets a chance to testify. Um, and they will do that. They will do that virtually in any case. Uh, but again, I think we. We always enjoy that in-person interaction and a a real chance to see EPA staff as well as the other stakeholders in the industry.
1: Chris, uh, thinking back to this past year, of course, we mentioned banner year for biofuels across the country, but it was also a banner year for electric vehicles and their promotion. And we certainly saw a lot of government action in that EV space. As you look out to 2023, is the enthusiasm for EVs still there in this administration or is it starting to wane?
5: Well, there's clearly a clearly a big push on electrification, um, and in the RFS set proposal, we have uh, new RINS, what they call ERINs, uh, generated from electricity from renewable biomass. So that's something that we're we're examining the details to make sure that you know it operates similar to other biofuels in the in the RFS policy, and that you know appropriate steps are taken care of not to prevent sort of double counting or, or potential fraud. Uh, and so a lot of people are looking at that proposal, uh, but certainly we see other policies on electrification, but the important thing is, and as the president said at, at, at an ethanol plant earlier this year, you know, you simply can't get to net zero without using biofuels. And I think that's really our key message as an industry is regardless of, you know, where you want to go on electrification, You need biofuels in the, you know, in the existing fleet today, tomorrow, and well into the future that use liquid fuels if you really want to decarbonize, as well as sort of expansion into some of these other areas that may not even have the opportunity on electrification, like sustainable aviation fuel and marine shipping
1: that's true and so much of that as you mentioned was reflected in that set rule from epa and this was of course the the draft rule the proposal chris are there any changes that growth energy would like to see in that set rule before the final comes out next summer
5: well i think a lot of it is going to be defending some of the volumes epa is taking comment on things to potentially lower those volumes so we're going to have our work cut out for us to to hang on to the you know conventional biofuels above 15 billion gallons, um, I think there's also you know going to be a need to recognize the potential uh, for E15, particularly if the state opt-outs occur or a national solution on year-round E15 is 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 achieved. That there could be significant growth in E15, and that could change some of their assumptions on ethanol use. Um, additionally we continue to push on updates of life cycle emissions modeling uh, you know it has been more than 10 years since epa has updated their modeling and there's been a wealth of new data and science to show you know the vast improvements in not only in modeling of biofuels like ethanol but frankly innovations in our industry and on the farm that really need to be accounted for
1: to show that we really are a low carbon solution The push for better policy will continue in 2023. Growth Energy will be there pushing for it, folks. We've been speaking with Chris Bliley, Senior Vice President of Regulatory Affairs there at Growth Energy. And Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, great to join you, Mike. And stay with us, folks. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this break. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today we're talking with Aaron Rogie, Senior Product Manager, CHS Refined Fuels Marketing, to learn more about the new Senex Premium Diesel formula. Let's talk why is Senex changing its premium diesel formula and why now?
4: The next generation of Senex Premium Diesel has honestly been a long time coming. It's been 10 years since we last updated our robust comprehensive additive package for our Cinex premium diesel fuels. And in that time, we've seen an evolution within engine technology to meet uh, ever increasing requirements for emission standards, as well as a desire to increase fuel economies.
1: So Aaron, let's talk a little bit about what has changed in the formula.
4: Well, the great news is that this product enhancement really is an evolution. So we didn't take anything away. We still have the seven additives within our package that provide that enhanced performance. What we did do is we basically, you know, moved a few levers and we increased the values of some of those additives to just provide enhancements and some new claims and differentiators. Probably the rock star of the package is our advanced aggressive detergency. And what we've gained through that is better control overall, a cleaner environment for the combustion of the fuel. We're better, uh, we're better managing water. Uh, we have enhanced the filtrability and improved the biostability of the product. And we've reaped the benefits that are provided to the exhaust after treatment system. So really just up the game overall.
1: Erin Rogie, Senior Product Manager at CHS Refined Fuels Marketing. Erin, thanks for joining us today.
4: Oh, thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it.
1: And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
8: Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products
4: has what you need.
5: Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us.
4: They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through.
8: We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry with payments as low as $68 per month or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free, no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory-trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985.
6: information
1: farmers and ranchers need to know AOA now back to Mike Pearson Welcome back, folks. Certainly appreciate you making AOA a part of your day today. You know, there has been a theme on today's show, and it's the theme of government involvement and the way it can change the the, the way in which we do business. And of course, we see this all the time in every country that's governed by a government. Things are always changing from a policy perspective. And uh, the focus increasingly is turning to agriculture when it comes to policy related to carbon and emissions. We've talked about that several times on this program the unrest in the netherlands as the dutch government has announced they will be closing as many as three thousand farms and then we saw a similar story play out earlier this year earlier this fall rather in new zealand Uh, there was an announcement from the new zealand government that they were going to be the first country in the world to make their livestock producers pay for the emissions of their livestock if you're If your bovine or your sheep are ruminating and emitting methane, well, there was going to be a tax on it for you. This was announced in October. It was the first, as I mentioned, nationwide plan to have farmers cover the costs of the alleged emissions that are coming out of their livestock and certainly caused an uproar in New Zealand. Several farm groups got together, notably the Federated Farmers of New Zealand, and they pushed back. Uh, They pushed back and they have been pushing back since October. And it was announced earlier this week that the government is listening. Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister of New Zealand, has said that her focus is, quote, getting an emissions reduction system set up that lasts." end quote. And so she said she's working hard alongside the agricultural sector to strike a balance between building good levels of buy in and ensuring. ensuring a robust system now New Zealand is really one of the first places I have seen farmers successfully renegotiate the terms of these policies with governments and so earlier this week I sent some notes out to the folks at the Federated Farmers of New Zealand and in the next week we'll be talking uh with that organization about the work they did in talking to the government after this plan was released it did not take much uh much input into consideration from the ag groups down there before it's released but since then they have been able to champion some changes that it sounds like make this government policy at least more palatable to the farmers down there in New Zealand. So stay tuned here in the coming weeks. We will be talking to those folks from the Federated Farmers of New Zealand and and hearing just what worked and what didn't in New Zealand as they work to educate their policymakers on the emissions from livestock. Globally, we've also got additional concerns. We've talked about it a lot here in the United States, but it's happening around the world, and that's the spread of bird flu. H5N1 2022 has been the worst outbreak of bird flu in history. It has globally, it has globally, way out. uh, outperformed i suppose is the not the word i'm trying to think of the outbreak in 2014-2015 in the united states right now we've had 58 million domesticated poultry uh be euthanized in order to quell the spread of, Af- of h5n1 and because of that we are seeing egg prices continue to climb Erner Berry reported that for nine consecutive weeks, egg prices have been stronger. They have continued to climb because there just aren't that many substitutes for eggs. And H5N1, goes after all birds it can infect all poultry it is a fatal disease when it happens there is less impact on the broiler market because those birds do grow and are harvested so quickly there's less of an opportunity for h5n1 a high path avian influenza to, to have an impact on those barns however laying operations are different those hens do live for quite some time relative to uh, to meat birds And because of that, when those facilities see an outbreak and a euthanization has to happen, a a depopulation, it slows down the industry for some time. Looking on into 2023, the expectation is that egg prices will continue to stay elevated. The hope from Erner Berry, Karen Rispoli says that she believes egg prices might come back after the New Year's, excuse me, come down after the New Year's as folks put away their Christmas baking goods. But all in all, the trend is going to be for increased prices for poultry products in 2023. And as I mentioned, it's not just in the United States. 58 million birds here domestically, so far cold as we get close to the end of the year. But this outbreak is truly impacting countries around the world and France. It was announced yesterday. France is the second largest poultry producer in the European Union, and they have announced that uh, H high-path avian influenza has led to the culling of about 20 million chickens, ducks, and turkeys so far this year. That ongoing H5N1 high-path avian influenza virus is going to be causing trouble in the poultry sector for the remainder of this next year and of course with all of the wild birds flying around this winter trying to get to and from someplace warm of course we're seeing that continue to spread looking out at some of the other data that is going to be moving markets over the coming weeks one story that we continue to come back to is inflation and the sister part of that story is federal interest rate policy. What's the Federal Reserve going to do with interest rates? And we've certainly seen them climbing. We talked about that earlier in the program. And now the trade is watching for the impacts of those elevated interest rates. And they're finding them. They're seeing the fact that this higher borrowing costs are changing the way people do business. Notably, for 10 straight month. Sales of previously owned homes in the United States have been declining, with November's decline down 7.7% month over month. That's the biggest drop in home purchases since back in February. It's the lowest number of purchases since the coronavirus outbreak back in March of 2020. And the expectation from economists who look at residential real estate is that this is Exhibit A of higher interest rates doing, quote, what they are supposed to be doing. raising the cost of borrowing, raising those monthly costs of home ownership, and in that sense, hoping to cool that entire home building sector. It's one of the leading weights uh, raised to, to generate wealth and it has certainly been on fire since coronavirus broke out. This is starting to slow that down. Could be a piece of news the Federal Reserve could use to lower or at least decrease the intensity of their interest rate hikes going forward. We do have one other piece of news here that I thought was worth mentioning. comes out of North Carolina. It was a Supreme Court challenge, and it's about nuisance lawsuits on farm confinements, hog confinement specifically. There have been numerous cases filed against pork producers in North Carolina. And, uh, well, there was a case filed in 2019 that challenged the North Carolina Right to Farm Act from 2017. Well, that challenge has just been thrown out the North Carolina Supreme Court declined to hear the case challenging that right to farm lacked, but down there in North Carolina and effectively it is going to let things continue as expected. Folks, a quick reminder that the Christmas holiday is on the 25th, which means on the 26th, the markets will be recognizing the holiday. they will be closed on December 26th. so we will have a best of episode here for AOA and will return on the 27th. Hope you all have a fantastic holiday. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.